Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Southern Springboard. In this episode, Brian will be talking with Dr. Ingo Elvig, a pediatric neurologist in the Division of Neurology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. In this podcast, Dr. Elvig also a person who, who stutters, talks about his journey coming to America and having to learn to, to speak English. He shares the research he has begun to understand the genetic makeup of people who stutter. His goal is to learn as much about the genetic causes of, of stuttering as much as possible so to take away some of the stigma. He needs your help. If you are a person who stutters, please send an email to Dr. Helbig at H-E-L-B-I-G-I at chop.edu to participate in the genetic study. It's a simple study that only requires a saliva sample. If you are interested, please get in contact with him. We need your help. Okay, welcome to the Stuttering Springboard, a podcast put on by the Nolan Stuttering Foundation focused on helping young people spring to the next level in life uh, and educate the population on what it means to be a person who stutters and the experiences that they have. I am so excited today to have as a guest, Dr. Ingo Helbig, a pediatric neurologist in the Division of Neurology and the Director of Genomic Science at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, he went to school in Germany at the University of Heidelberg. Uh, he did his residency um, in child neurology at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. Um, Ingo visited with myself and Dr. Joe Donaher and a group of about a dozen teenagers last June. And it was about as memorable of an event as I had last year. He explained his journey um, as a physician who stutters from Germany, but also a really cool study he's doing on genetic makeup of people who stutter and the possible uh, hereditary nature of stuttering. So um, welcome, Ingo. It's so great to have you here. Ryan, thank you so much. This was a, a kind of great introduction. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here. Uh, so it's so great. Well, to get started, can can you tell us a little bit about your role at Children's Hospital? What do you do on a day to day basis? What's your life like there? Yeah, so um, it's actually a relatively kind of special role that I have at, at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So I'm one of the physicians in our division of neurology. So I see children who have um, brain disorders. And um, I, in a way, specialize in genetic causes of brain disorders, mainly epilepsy. Um, and in addition to kind of seeing patients in my clinic, um, I run a research group that looks at kind of gene discovery and trying to kind of um, do data mining to better understand um, genetic brain disorders. How did you get into that field? It's such a specialist, specialty field. How did you go? That is really deep. 
I probably didn't say no at some point. I actually don't remember. <laughs> so for me, this started out when I um, did my medical thesis in Germany and I worked on um, brain proteins. And from brain proteins, I actually kind of um, got a small fellowship to work in Australia with some of the experts in epilepsy genetics. So the field of um, yeah, genetics that tries to understand um, why people have seizures. And from then on, I kind of just yeah, continued. Um, so you're a person who stutters, not, not evidently though, um, but in general, how, how has stuttering impacted your life, Ingo? Yeah, it's, um, I think the further we go, the kind of you'll hear a few things. And of course, like my accent kind of masks a few of my kind of stutters. Mm. And I had actually, um, I started quite severely when I was a kid. So I remember when I kind of started in elementary school, um, actually my, my elementary school teacher actually talked to my entire class about me being a person with stutters, um, just to just make them aware that they should not kind of make fun of me. Yeah. Then for quite a while, it wasn't really a big issue. And then I started kind of, became a bigger issue again when I actually um, started speaking English. Yeah. So kind of- the, When you start it, speaking English. Exactly. So I had, um, I did my research in Heidelberg, Germany in an English speaking lab. And this was kind of really, really difficult for me. So especially this was a neuroscience lab. And there are like a few kind of words in neuroscience that I really have problems with. One word is the word glutamate, yeah, which is like the main neurotransmitter. That's a tough word. And it makes it actually especially kind of hard if you work in a lab that works on glutamate receptors. Yeah? So there was no way to, for me to get around this. And even now I don't say glutamate, I say galutamate just to have a little bit of a tendency or a trick there to, um, yeah, to overcome this. Yeah? Mm. So this was an issue there. And um, then um, I basically, um, I spent a year in, in the US for medical school and um, I met one of my um, yeah, mentors there who kind of um, is a speech therapist. And um, what I really liked is that the way that he approached my stutter is actually much differently than people would do this in Germany. So he was recording me and asked me, Ingo, how do you think your stutter was? And I was like, well, I think I had like two or three blocks. And he said, well, Ingo, don't kind of um, deceive yourself. You stuttered on every fifth word. <laughs> I think this nice. is the idea that, that sometimes I think people who stutter, we're actually quite good at masking some of our stutters. You know? And so I don't even realize this myself sometimes. You know, I, uh, later on, I, I think I'm, I'm going to jump to it now. Yeah. Were, were you a covert stutterer like, like me? Like, did you, I spent a lifetime yeah. hiding yeah. the fact that I stutter yeah. by all kinds of ways, right? Did so you guess, ever do that? Um, so what I typically connect with covert stutters actually not sussing out opportunities where you would speak, right? Where you kind of say you kind of avoid this situation. Um, I don't think that I ever had the chance. I think like in my stutter was back uh, bad when I was in elementary school. Then I think um, it got better, but it was always there. You know? um, and I don't think that I ever kind of had the situation where I kind of did not do something because of my stutter. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Good for you. I I can't say that. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's part of my 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 journey here is to um, run back towards it as fast as I can. I spent a yeah. lifetime running from stuttering. Yeah. 
hiding every moment. I lived in a kind of a high profile family. My dad was a lawyer and I was expected to be excellent and, and to stutter meant I wasn't to myself. And so to not talk meant I wouldn't stutter. Yeah. If you know what I mean, right? I can maybe, so some, I, I, I know these thoughts. And for example, I remember when I first started thinking about stuttering research. So this was in Australia when I worked with um, Angela Morgan, who was one of the um, um, academic um, speech pathologists in, in Australia, who does many of the genetic studies there. And we actually wrote a research protocol. And I remember that one of my kind of mentors back then actually kind of um, talked to me and kind of said, why are you working on this? You shouldn't work on your own disease. You know? And I remember that this actually hit me quite hard. And I, um, yeah, I actually stopped doing this. You know? And I think this is kind of, it, it is quite close to you. And it's all, I think there's always this kind of feeling of kind of shame linked to it. The fact that it's actually a small thing that you shouldn't bother about, but then it's the big thing. And um, yeah, I think this is where I know this feeling of kind of, um, you know, running away from it a little bit. Huh? Well, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead too, because you just, you just hit a word to me. So you, you hit shame. And one of the questions I have for you is help, Help dispel this myth. People stutter because they're nervous. People stutter because they're nervous. Oh, you must be nervous. Just don't be nervous and, and you won't stutter. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah. Um, and I think for all the listeners who didn't see this, I, we're on a video cast and Brian was just holding his head and <laughs> making a face. But, um, <laughs> this is um, obviously not true. Of course, people who stutter, they may have more disfluencies when they're kind of in stressful situations, but kind of mistaking disfluencies for some emotional state, you know, is one of the really, really difficult things. You know, this, this is something, typically communication is something that we always use. Spoken language is something that we typically, yeah, value very, very highly, you know, and then kind of having you know, this diverse way of speaking that people stop, that they take their own time, that they basically, yeah, act people to kind of listen to them a bit more closely. This makes people uncomfortable, you know, and I think this is where, the idea of writing this off as being nervous um, is probably kind of an easy thing to explain. But well, it, it, it exacerbates it, right? So it clearly, it. because of the self-talk that goes on in our, in our minds about an experience, if we're going to read out loud in school or give a presentation or order something at a Starbucks and we, we uh, to say caramel frappuccino <laughs> might not be easy, yeah. Um, so we already we already stutter in our mind before we stutter. Exactly. Right? So that that's part of the nervousness that exacerbates it. Yeah. So it's like right. this like this anticipation, this anxiety that something will actually happen. Yeah. And then you're kind of building this up and you tense up. You know. And then you have um, more blocks than you would typically have. I think what what I realized is basically like the last few years with increasing Zoom calls, this is kind of really that. Um, makes me more disfluent, you know? And I know this from like Zoom calls where you just kind of uh, go around and introduce yourself. And I realize sometimes I really yeah, stutter into this and it's hard for me to um, yeah, not have at least some degree of anticipation there that kind of um, this becomes difficult. And the, and the, the anticipation is what actually brings on uh, disfluency in many respects for me. It yeah. has, so I've, I've worked a lifetime on, on um, confidence, on visioning success. I, I always say, if you think you can or you can't, you're right. Yeah. And uh, if you know you're gonna stutter 
on your name. I remember being in um, a professional at in a, in a corporate room with about 30 executives and going around the room to introduce ourselves. And I could say my name, Brian Nolan, but I wasn't going to say my name well that day. Yeah. Um, and excusing myself uh, before it got to me to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, so that anticipation just builds up, builds up, and then then it gets even worse the next time. Yep. And the yep. next time, because now this fear has built it up bigger than it actually is. Yeah. So I can give you one example that I had when I was actually um, a university student before, um, because I had like a small, let's say, language class in London. So I kind of I studied in Germany, and then London is quite close. And this was the first time that I was actually in an English-speaking environment, and then this was difficult for me. Yeah, so I had to give presentations and I just kind of really stuttered through and um, I was trying to kind of get yeah, fast food and each time I was standing there at uh, Burger King and I couldn't get the words out. Yeah? Uh -huh. it was, um, it, it, I always kind of said, well, this time it's going to be easier and it still kind of was was difficult. You know? Okay, so you you can relate to be sure. Um, yeah. um, so not, not quite the executive meeting that you were talking about, but I think um, Burger, Sting, uh, Burger King <laughs> is kind of still um still on, on on my list and my mind interesting Th those those trauma experiences if you will um so the the uh springboard and the whole the whole mission behind what what nolan studying foundation is trying to do is to prevent having having stuttering stop young people from uh, pursuing things that they're meant to be and the fact that you've you've elevated to this level um, of leadership in the medical field and in medical studies is is um, well, it's terrific for those of us who stutter. Um, did it did did the fact that you stutter ever get in the way, make you think maybe I shouldn't go to medical school, maybe I shouldn't do this? Did it ever block you from doing it, or was your was your grit? uh winning that that argument so to speak so i think it would be actually a bit of an overreach on my end to say that it's never kind of factored in i think what happened to me is that my stutter was not very prominent during the times when i had to make these decisions so i was already enrolled in university when it got, got worse so i was already basically in the u.s when i had to kind of fight this mm. there were i mean just kind of when i when i think about this i um um, there were times when I probably would have done, yeah, maybe something different. So I remember when I was 16, um, I wanted to kind of spend a year as an exchange student in the US. And eventually this was like a scholarship program and it said nothing to do with my study. I just wasn't the person being selected. And in retrospect, I was actually, um, yeah, almost, yeah, happy that I didn't get selected because I was wondering, I go over there and uh, I don't speak English. I stutter. I don't want to basically burden people. Yeah? And I only realized maybe five years ago that this was actually kind of a, yeah, um, not a very helpful thought to have, you know, because you kind mm. of, um, I think they're very good at kind of self-victimizing, you know, and kind of, mm. I think this is something where stutterers really kind of, um, yeah, um, can talk themselves down quite a bit. Oh, no question. Yep. No question. I want to, I want to get a little scientific now, yes, if please. I could. Uh, so I was in the room um, last June when you showed an image of of an MRI 
Um, I believe it was your brain. Yeah. And um, I think if I'm correct, it was your, it was an image of you not stuttering and maybe an image of you stuttering. Yeah, I can, um, I can tell the story again because I think yes, it's, please. it's really interesting because I basically messed up a study as a control. And this was in Australia when I was um, doing epilepsy research. And typically when you do research, you need lots of kind of controls for, for patients. And usually the best controls are people who are around anyway. So um, I never did imaging studies, but one of my colleagues did. And he kind of asked me to do to be a control for a study that looked at speech in epilepsy. And so this is basically, this is a study that's called the functional MRI. You can imagine this is a brain scan and then you do a task and then they measure the part of the brain that, that is very active. And um, so got this test done, did this, completed the study. And then like a few days later, he called me into his room and said, we had to take you out of the study um, because your language is on the wrong side. Yeah. So typically, um, yeah, 90% of all humans have their uh, language, um, yeah, on the left side and my language is largely on the right side and this is something it doesn't happen in every person who stutters but it's, it's something that people kind of occasionally find that um our language yeah has different spots and places in the brain then we would see this in non-stuttering people so do, do most people who stutter though have language maybe in a little, little different part of the brain so I think this is just one way this eventually manifests so think about this in the way that people stutter differently they also they're um, the way that their kind of language is distributed in their brain may be different. Many people probably have this in the same area and, and there are other kind of changes. And for some people, this is almost like switched around. Hmm. So, so now you, you've, uh, I guess you've just begun a study. Um, and I, I, part of what I want to do with this podcast is help communicate and help you get, um, I guess, people for the study. Yeah. Um, but you'll, you'll tell me more about that um the 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 study you're doing is to 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 see if well i guess tell us about this study because it's it's parent child whether it's inherited yeah and, and to to find the gene tell us about the study tell us what you need this this is a platform to get yeah. the message out oh, thank you and i think this is um i think i would maybe start by kind of saying what causes stuttering you know so i think we all have um our yeah origin stories. We all have our kind of ways on why we stutter. And I think in many cases, we kind of attribute certain events. For example, I was told for most of my life that this was due to a brain infection that I had as a, as a little baby. This is what doctors basically told my parents and told me later. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. being a child neurologist, I know that this is not true. Yeah. Um, bacteria could not be, or viruses could not be so smart that they really kind of only hit the specific speech region. Yeah. Um, and when we just look at what um, stuttering causes. And we just kind of take you know, a step back and look at other conditions like stuttering, you know, conditions that we call neurodevelopmental disorders. So those are conditions like ADHD, you know, um, sometimes conditions like dyslexia. You know. There's actually not a doubt that these conditions have a very strong genetic component. You know. And in each of these kind of studies or in each of these and conditions, they are very, very large genetic studies. And the only condition that really kind of um, is a big exception is stuttering. No? So this is kind of when we think about it, there are studies of like thousands of people who have kind of, of ADHD or have 
is dyslexia, yeah, even more severe conditions like, like autism or learning disabilities. Yeah? Those are very, very large studies, and we've done this in many conditions, but not in stuttering. Yeah? And um, this is something that we wanted to, to change. And this is why we said we've done epilepsy genetic research for um, yeah, decades, basically. And now is the time that we can you know, expand this to the genetics of speech dis disorders. You know? And stuttering is one particular speech disorder, probably with a very large genetic component. The example oh. I always give, if, for example, Brian, if, if you had an identical twin, you know, this identical twin would be very likely to stutter too. In more than 80% of cases, identical twins stutter if the other twin stutters. And if you look at siblings, this is much, much less. So I'm, I'm a twin. Oh, you are a twin, yes. I'm, I'm a twin. He's not identical. Yeah. Um, he looks a, a bit like me. Um, so he stuttered uh, up until age five or six. Yeah. Um, and then, then did not. Um, every now and then he says he may stutter, interestingly enough. Um, and, but I continue stuttering and stuttering rather severely through through grade school yeah. and into a high school um managing it though but with a lot of shame and 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 but yet ultimately grit helped me to uh, persevere and not let it be the case but um i guess where where i'm going with that is tell so tell us about this study it's it, so it's got it it's got a genetic link and so we're looking for more people to be part of of the study so i've i'm part of it yeah and and do we need more is it hard to find people to join the study it's actually um relatively hard to find people who stutter who are kind of um yeah um who are kind of part of the studies and it's not so much big because um they're not around it's just kind of often very difficult where we can actually find them i think this is where it was useful to kind of um to be present at some of the uh, um, scientific meetings, some of the family meetings. You know, I think kind of um, being here is, is very important because I think what I just want to emphasize to people is that um, we will, we can only gain from understanding stuttering better. I would just ask people who um, would like to be part of our studies just to kind of connect with me. Yeah, just, just for people listening, it's a pretty easy uh, procedure. Basically, it's uh, saliva-based and um, you you send in a sample. So it's about as easy to participate as any study, I think. Exactly, I think this is in. really, we needed to take blood in the past and now we can just do this from saliva samples. Right? Yeah. And it really just helps us to, yeah, understand the, what we call the genetic architecture of stuttering bit by bit. This is not gonna be fast, we already know this, yeah? but there's something that we really have to do this to kind of give stuttering a stronger voice. The, the uh, something you said earlier just piqued my interest that I can't move on by it. We talked about what causes stuttering. Um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned your story about what, what your yeah. parents told you. Um, it, whether maybe there's a difference between what causes it and what is actually happening to, to the speech and, and the brain to prevent um, a fluid output and why sometimes we can be you know, fluid and other times we're not fluid. Yeah, yeah. And and what's actually happening is, is there a, is there a synapse block happening in the brain? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have the, let's say, tremendous advantage 
of actually not being a person who kind of needs to do imaging studies. So I can look at this a little bit from a distance. Yeah? And I think what is actually happening is that um, fluency is actually very, very tricky. Yeah? So when you think about what we're doing, we're kind of talking, we're listening at the same time, and then we're um, yeah, spitting out the, the next word. And there's actually quite a big part of our brain that is involved in keeping us fluid. No, and in the same way that, that there are like natural differences between people with their ability to kind of, yeah, mm. to read or to kind of focus, you know, or um, mm. there are differences in, in how people can be fluent. And if people are not, yeah, have parts of the brain regions, yeah, less connected or, or underdeveloped, they may become disfluent and then they stutter. You know? mm. So when you look, about, look at them, this is maybe one perspective that I have as a neurogenetics researcher and clinician that when, when I look across the different conditions that we have um, this is often due to kind of yeah what we call brain maturation how our brain grows that our brain grows a little less in, in, in some areas just as part of the typical variation yeah and um, this is stuff that gives us yeah a stutter but also gives us different strengths yeah. so, so that's the part that I, I'm really intrigued by is when when you see people stutter there's always there's usually some other superpower that that they have and have you noticed that i mean i and then 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 you come to realize as you get older like me that hey you know stuttering is part of you and if you didn't stutter then you wouldn't have the other parts of you that yeah. really make you you right? exactly yeah and i i mean it's basically it's um i think every person who stutters wishes at some point that they would not stutter or would have never stuttered you know? and totally, I think it's totally. just this kind of what if is just very hypothetical because this is part of what we are i think there's a advantage of sometimes being yeah forced to listen first rather than saying or rather than speaking and i think what i just realized is that as a person who stutters you're just inherently good with words uh, i've seen mm -hmm. this from so many people that when it comes to yeah um yeah trying to kind of find good expressions being creative you know trying to come up mm -hmm. with jokes on on the, mm -hmm. the spot I think this is really something that people who stutter can do very, very well. Yeah. I, I also think listening. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a business coach, and so I coach business leaders, and I, I have calls like this all all day long, and I am I get like incredibly focused on um, the person. And I think that came about because when I when I stuttered, I was always waiting for when I was going to say something next. So I was always in the, I was listening so intently. I don't know if I'd be that way if I didn't study. Yeah. yeah. And I think the same is with me. It's, I mean, the, the other thing that I sometimes explain to other people who stutter, they immediately understand this, is that you kind of, you enter a room and you sense the atmosphere. Right away. Yeah. There's something you can, is this, and I don't even realize that there are people who don't, cannot do this, but I think this is something where you can, you enter this room and you just kind of have this, tendency to realize you understand whether people whether there's, there's a happy atmosphere or there's something sad you know this sometimes even gets you into trouble because you're always asking about what's wrong with you and they're like nothing is wrong with me i know i do that all the time yeah i do yeah. It all the time by the way have you had a chance to to read uh the new book by christopher anderson called every waking moment i was i actually ordered this i haven't read this yet but i have I've let this my one of my list of um on my list of books to read He's, he's going to be a podcast guest of mine in two weeks. Yeah. Um, it is, it is, I think, groundbreaking work. Yeah. Um, yeah. He talks about the stuttering lens yeah. and how we have a, 
we have a lens for everything. Yep. And it's, it goes back to the anticipation and uh, just a tremendous book. So a shout out for everybody listening to get that book to, he spent a lifetime deeply understanding his stutter. Yep. Um, so, so it's, it's awesome. Um, did, so I, I want to talk about avoidance real quick. It sounds yep. like you didn't do a lot of avoidance, but are you familiar with the impact of avoidance on? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And, and avoidance reduction therapy. As a no, no. So, um, so I think many of the, so, so having spent most of my kind of time as a personal status in Germany, some of these kind of concepts like avoidance reduction is actually, at least when, when I was young, people didn't really do this, you know? And it was more kind of on yeah, keeping speech fluent. I think it's actually quite nice because I sometimes are interesting because I avoid words, even like in the medical context, that might be quite easy. For example, one thing, um, one word that I really have difficulties with is marijuana. Yeah? Of course, now that I am about to say this, I can, I don't block, but it's sometimes uh, it's kind of, this is part of my professional language because there is some kind of epilepsy therapies that are based on medical marijuana. Yeah? Mm. And but imagine I talk to families about this and I block on this kind of, let's say, sensitive word. Yeah? And so um, this is always an interesting way. And I, kind of, I caught myself the last few years that I was kind of, for talking about cannabis or a pot, but it's like oh. I really a switching force myself to actually use this word. You know? And what's interesting part of the lens is that you know the word's coming, you know the word's yeah. tough, so it's going to yeah. be tough to say. Yeah. Right. So that and, it's inter- yeah. And even my example earlier with like glutamate or something, yeah, those are kind of words that I kind of I need to prepare in my in my head, and I need to be really focused on how I'm speaking. You know? yeah. But if I was just chatting along, this would probably be kind of cause a block. What advice do you, do you have in go for young people who stutter, who are um, looking at a career through the stuttering lens? Like I can't do that because I stutter. I, I could never do that. Um, That is like, that is the ultimately like the, the driving passion behind this is when stuttering stops them from contemplating yeah. what they're meant to be what advice do you have there so um i was always told and i think my parents have been very active in this that i can do what i want to do yeah and this was also partially kind of uh, in light of my stuttering and i think this i would give the same advice to everybody else if you want to be become a physician if you would like to be, become an actor you know you can absolutely do this and this is, of course, something that feels very, let's say, um, top down. Like when I talk about this, this feels like you give this advice and it's actually not connecting. But what advice I would give people is just kind of tap into this a little bit. Yeah? For example, if you would like to be in the medical field, do an internship yeah? or just kind of follow someone yeah? and just kind of try mm-hmm. to break down this big obstacle by taking a small step. Mm-hmm. Because even sometimes this, this small step isn't really, is easily kind of, coordinated and this might kind of help you dispel some of these kind of yeah things that we build up in our in our mind yeah mm-hmm. which are just in our head those are really obstacles that we often kind of um yeah build up yeah and then eventually you have to yeah just take a step and um just make the step as small as possible but this might help you yeah? i like that 
liked it a lot. I, I just finished a book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Yes. You know, yeah, the, yeah, you, yeah, I know this too. Yeah. That is a great book. Um, yeah. and you know, the, the obstacle is the way, or the only way out is through it. Yeah. And um, so uh which is why this whole concept of avoidance reduction and setting goals, but the the biggest challenge that I have is is to bring young people who stutter out in and as opposed to hiding like I was yeah. and get them to listen and be a part of our of our groups, you know. And I think maybe the other advice I would have is I would really, yeah, um, almost like actively engage young people who stutter and really kind of drag them out and kind of place them there and have them do things, you know, kind of almost like that. get over this kind of anxiety part, but really kind of, yeah, not just offering possibilities, but just make sure that they can't escape. Yeah. Um, because I mean, they're often people, even when people kind of stutter in the medical field, they're actually quite a few people. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, people don't really care. I think many people don't, I've, I've had, I think I had this only twice happen in my entire career that someone called me out on this as, as a patient. Yeah. And this, in both situations, this was kind of funny because this was like a young kid who just kind of asked me why I, why I speak funny and he kind of, joked around, you know? but it's something that actually plays much less of a role you know, than people would typically think. And the more we focus on it, the, the, the worse it becomes. It, it just, it's just part of us and, and let, that, let that be and push through it. Um, anything else you'd like to, to share, doctor? With, yeah, uh, I actually want to um, kind of come back to you and your twin, actually, because this is a good idea on why we actually probably need to understand the genetics of stuttering better, yeah? Because you basically, there are two questions. Basically, um, why do you and your brother stutter? Yeah? And um, why um, do you stutter more severely than your brother? Yeah? Mm -hmm. I think those are things that um, I'd like to have an answer for at some point. Yeah? And mm -hmm. I think those are kind of, these, these questions are answerable. And I think it will be very powerful to, to, to understand what are the factors that yeah, make people stutter, what are the factors that actually keep people stuttering? Yeah? And I think this is a very common situation that you have stuttering run in families. Yeah? And if you're not an identical twin, but the stuttering pattern is different. And then there are often stories around why this happens to one person, but not the other. Yeah? But just being a neurogenetics researcher, I would say the differences are probably due to yeah, genetic factors that we carry. This is not so much. What about psychosocial factors and the psychology of, of uh I don't know, birth order and, and um, how, how dominant your parents were or how successful your parents are intimidating and any, any, what's your thought on that? I think, no, I, I don't think this matters. And I think this has actually been actually disproven. You know? I think the idea that stuttering is kind of a consequence of, yeah, you having a certain personality or your kind of parents, um, yeah, treating you a certain way. I think those were kind of, yeah, yeah, explanations of the early yeah, 1900s. But I think right now we know that, that you stutter um, no matter what, and that it's basically very difficult to kind of make a person stutter who is not a stutterer. No? So, yeah. And I think, birth, and I, I think this is where there's often, I, I call this myth or lore, that you have, we have all our stories, we have kind of the way how this happens, how this kind of fits into, into our families, and we often kind of connect this with certain events that, that had happened. And while I cannot, let's say, explain this in the field of stuttering because we're not there yet, 
I've seen this in many other cases with many other neurological con condition when we find a gene. Yeah? When, when all these kind of stories about why a child has epilepsy suddenly go away and um, because you actually find a cause and it's no one's fault and it's just something that kind of happened to a person. And I've just seen this very often how this kind of entire construct of guilt and shame just kind of breaks away. Yeah? And just you kind of then realize it's actually not the way that people always thought that, that, that this would be, but it's really- Well, I mean, that, that's the beauty. The beauty of your study is, is even to find a gene and to find that, that it's genetically um, origin uh, would help, help eliminate shame because there's nothing that okay. I did. Yeah, yeah. And I think right? this is where, I think um, this is where really kind of genetic studies can be extremely powerful. So I, I work in the, what is called the rare disease space. So I work with many family advocacy groups for very rare genetic epilepsies. Yeah? And I've just really kind of seen this kind of power and this energy that comes with having a diagnosis, having a name, you yeah? know, and this is something that that we don't have yet. I would I would love to have this in the stuttering field. Yeah? And this is not about basically kind of really um, predicting things or kind of um, um, yeah um, creating kind of ways to categorize or discriminate against people. To me, it's really about understanding where this comes from to really yeah, break down this kind of shame and anxiety barrier. So so what? What do we have to look forward to by way of timing of when a study might be available? Are we a couple of years out? Yeah, I would say a couple of years, years out. And I think I tell this to my study participants um, on purpose because research really kind of takes time. And this is something where we really kind of um, need to go st step by step. Yeah. And I think okay. um, right now we're in this kind of phase where we try to get the community engaged to actually kind of be part of these uh, of our studies. I think once once we have this, um, things can sometimes go very very quickly. Yeah. I think the the main issue right now is that stuttering genetic research is not organized, so we, we don't have um, yeah a large database of patients where we have um, DNA samples, and I think this is what we have to do really piece by piece. Well, I'm 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 personally very grateful for the work you're doing. Yeah, uh, personally okay. grateful at a very deep level. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And um, I want to thank you for your time today, Doctor. Um, this, will, this will be uh, out, out next week. Uh, next Thursday, you'll, you'll see this podcast. So I'll, I'll make sure I send it to you in a link. But you can get it on Apple or uh, Spotify yep. or where, wherever you get your podcasts. It's the uh, Stuttering Springboard by the Noel Stuttering Foundation. Ingo, thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. If you are a person who stutters and have interest in helping Dr. Helbig with his, his research, please send him an email at helbigi at chat.edu to participate in the genetic study mentioned in the podcast. It's a, a simple study that only requires a saliva sample. Nolan Stuttering Foundations, or NSF's, primary purpose is to bring young people who stutter together and help them become the best versions of themselves. We do this through programming design to help them share 
and navigate the unique communication and psychological challenge they experience. NSF helps prepare young people to take the next step in their lives, whether it's high school, college, or, or, or your, your career. For ideas and, and contributions to the podcast, contact us at info at nolansf.org.